Hello everyone, I am super excited to share this episode with you. The Pharmaledger Consortium is one of the earliest large blockchain consortia that actually helped to fuel my own interest in the concept of using blockchain for healthcare applications. Pharmaledger is an open source, public-private partnership in Europe that has expanded beyond its initial three-year experimental multi-use case project into its own industry-driven association based in Switzerland this year. It was funded by the Innovative Medicines Initiative that brought together 12 pharma companies and 17 public-private entities, including technical, legal, academic, research, and patient representative organizations. The leading use case that has emerged from the project is developing a trusted electronic product information solution for patients, drug manufacturers, regulators, pharmacists, and providers. So this is the little piece of paper that says all the information about those drugs and the prescription boxes. That's the product information we're talking about here. This solution would prevent drug counterfeiting and also ensure patients get the most up-to-date information about their medicines. Last year, I was fortunate enough to be a member of the Pharmaledger Consortium, where I got to participate in some of the use case discussions among different pharma companies, dev teams, and patient advocacy groups. It was very enlightening to hear the ideas and challenges that this industry faces when trying to introduce a brand new digital trust ecosystem using blockchain. What impressed me the most was the thoughtful considerations made by how actual users may or may not benefit from the platform and how important it was to have a governance model that can work in the long term. In this episode, I speak with PharmaLedger industry project leader, Dan Fritz, as well as the architecture and reference implementation co-lead, Marco Como. This duo from Novartis has been part of the leadership team trying to basically transform or really decentralize an industry that has been notoriously known to resist change. I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you all do too. If you do like what you hear, I encourage you to check out and consider joining the Health Unchained Supercast membership community by visiting the Supercast link in the show notes. You will join other believers who are supporting the show. Also, you'll avoid any advertisements while listening to the show. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we're not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to the Health Unchained show. I'm super excited to be talking to some of the leaders of the Pharma Ledger Association who used to be leading the Pharma Ledger Consortium. And we're going to get into all that, what that means. But Dan Fritz, Marco Como, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for the opportunity, Ray. Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, and same on my side. <laughs> thanks, Marco. And just for the audience's sake, so you know they might not be familiar with Pharma Ledger or you both. So would you mind introducing yourselves just briefly, uh, your background, where you've been working for the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years, and some of the major projects you've been trying to solve? 
Sure. So I'm Dan Fritz, been with Novartis for over 20 years, always in supply chain manufacturing systems roles, both in manufacturing sites and in global supply chain. That's that's until recently when I joined the Farmer Ledger Association. But in the past five years, together with Marco, we've been focused on the Farmer Ledger project. And I, as the industry leader in, in there, co-leading the project with a public partner at the Polytechnical University of Madrid. But I've always been involved in projects around counterfeits or serialization topics, planning, and many of these topics are at the core of the Farmer Ledger projects in their use cases. So that is a good background to have, I think, for it. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, my name is, as mentioned, Marco Cuomo, and I'm also with Novartis, only 17 years. I'm relatively okay. new to the company. <laughs> no, no. As Dan mentioned, the last five years, we were closely together in the pharma ledger space. I, I'm more from the innovation team in Novartis, so I was looking more from a technology point of view. My focus was blockchain. Before that, in the innovation team, I spent couple of time with operations, uh, um, kind of the usual thing you have in bigger companies like SharePoint, the internet presence, the web logics and other service you have around there. So I, I was responsible for different of these systems. Basically, my whole life in the IT, I started as a software developer and then had different roles. Yeah, what do you do? in the last 30 years in IT. <laughs> sure, a lot of digital transformation projects and initiatives, I'm sure. Oh, yes, and, uh, yes, yes. That's a good absolutely. keyword, uh, digital yeah. transformation. I mean, in the 90s, we had coming the internet, which was a big deal. And I think now we have another step. And that other step, I think what you're referring to mm -hmm. is the blockchain or decentralized ledger technologies. And a lot of people, and including myself, believe it's the future of the internet. However, as I know, both personally and professionally, that the challenges in blockchain, not just for healthcare, but for all industries, are really tough. They're, they're tough challenges because you have to break through not just the technical or technological, those issues, but you have to go through the social issues, the economic issues that you have to deal with with the blockchain ecosystem. So very interesting for the audience who might not be aware of what Pharma Ledger is. I just want to quickly say that it's a consortium. It was a three-year project in Europe founded by 29 members, I believe. 12 of them were pharmaceutical companies. And like you mentioned, Dan, you also had technology partners as well and universities involved in patient advocacy groups too. So do you want to share anything else about the PharmaLedger Consortium, which was a three-year project starting in 2018, I believe? Yeah, well, you could say it started in 2018 because that's you know, five years ago. Five years ago, yeah. yeah. The pre-start, right. so to say. Uh, we had to, what we had to do is to find some like-minded partners in the industry, in FPA members, uh, European Federation Pharmaceutical Industry and Associations. But maybe you have to start even earlier. When we, when we started in Novartis yeah. in 2017 or 16, 17, we, we quickly worked with other pharma companies and we found quickly that, or we discovered that blockchain is nothing you do alone at home. You need others. Otherwise, the blockchain technology makes no sense. It's a team. Blockchain is a, a team, team sport. Yes. <laughs> we said oh, there must be some associations, something already around where we can tap in 
because that would be the right place to start with this idea. And I think then we, we came to right. that. Yeah. Right. Then we found out about the Innovative Medicines Initiative, or IMI, which is a, a program at the European Commission for public funding and a partnership with, with FPIA. So to bring the industry together with public partners towards innovation in health. I think we were very, very fortunate because this, this program had a consortium agreement template that had already been agreed to by all of the legal representatives. It had standard governance procedures in place. It had a standard bidding procedure. There's a, a project officer that's supporting you from Brussels and, and everything like this. So all of those legal aspects in terms of a grant agreement, the consortium agreement, were already in place and we didn't have to define those. We could just reuse them going forward. And, and by, by doing this IMI project, then the, the commitments or the resources that the industry put in were matched by the European Commission. So they, they provided matching funding to support the applicant consortium or the public partners, which included five hospitals, five universities, the service providers, and, and two patient organizations. So, so real fortunate to, to find that. And uh, you may also say this, this IMI is an umbrella for a lot of other projects too. And the idea was from IMI, things which a pharma company or someone from the healthcare industry cannot do alone, there would be a kind of an organization, this IMI, and this sounds very good for us. That is exactly what blockchain needs. And just to give you the perspective, I think it's uh, there were 120 projects over the last 20 years, 10 years, 10 years, sorry, over the last 10 years. And we were one of these at the end um, where they also switched to focus more and more into the digital area. Mm -hmm. And so we were, I think we were at the right time, at the right place there. And it's really, it's, it, I think it's the right organization for something like that. Yeah. And, and just to, to give you the, the quick story, so uh, 2018, we put the industry consortium together. 2019, we joined the public partners and we planned the project. 2020, we kicked it off. Normally, these projects are five-year affairs, but we said, okay, we don't have five years, right? The things are going to change so much within five years, we need to move quicker. So we, we did a three-year project. And, and in that project, we, we prioritized what use cases, we developed demonstrators, we tested these demonstrators, we did a lot of efforts around awareness and about blockchain and the project. And we also focused on the post-project governance, which was the governance and operating model. That was a, a key deliverable of the, of the project. Thanks for sharing all that. I appreciate it. And you mentioned so many different types of members. And one thing that you know, blockchain is set to enable is this alignment of incentives, right? So you have different types of companies, different types of incentives, really. And how did you manage to work together with these different companies, including maybe some of your competitors, pharmaceutical companies, right? How did you manage to work with them to align some of the specific goals and issues that you guys all wanted as a group. Yeah, okay. First of all, when we started at the, at the beginning, we had the term uh, blockchain enabled healthcare. So that was kind of an abstract thing. So we want to build something in the healthcare industry based on blockchain. But the idea was not blockchain, really. It was about decentralization. It was about 
removing the middleman and, and not have something in the way. And we call it then a digital trust ecosystem, which is based on a blockchain technology, but that's not the key. The key is really we want something, an ecosystem, a digital one, and a one you can trust means this is also what blockchain often says, the trust is in the cryptography, etc. But the idea behind is really to say, how can we bring different partners together which different interests, which maybe they don't trust each other. Think about the patient, pharma organization, hospitals, taxpayers organization, et cetera, and so forth. It's the same ecosystem. They not really trust each other. It's about money. How can you make sure that this and that is going on? So we thought this kind of blockchain technology can bring that together without having a dominating man in the middle or something which is then enough, yeah, which you pay at the end, kind of a membership fee or, or, or whatever. So we wanted from the beginning, building something, we say, this is decentralized. There is no dependency. And if you don't like it, or if the partners don't like it anymore, they can anytime walk away. So open source is an important element to that. Data sovereignty. So you own your data, you keep your data with you. And, and these were the thoughts we have around. I mean, there are enough negative examples, right, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I think the, the key point is that with this digital trust ecosystem concept is that it's there's a mutual benefit for independent partners. You call it a digital trust ecosystem, but you could also call it, you know, grow the pie mm-hmm. instead of slice the pie up, you know, or or look for the win-win proposition. That's the great thing about blockchain, you know, it requires other partners. So if you can engage and discuss, you are likely to come across a proposition that is a win-win and and that benefits both parties or all parties, you know, not just not two different parties, of course. Absolutely. And I think, you know, definitely in theory, these ideas are resonating within the whole industry, not just in healthcare, but blockchain in general. Like you need to have partners and be able to come to an agreement on what your common goals are and then build the technology and test it and and ensure that it's something people will be able to use and have it scale as well. I don't want to get too technical, but which which blockchain protocol or technologies are used in Pharma Ledger? Maybe you can describe some of the mistakes initially that you had, maybe the first year when you're experimenting with different technologies. What did you learn? What can you tell others about what you learned during just the selection process of a blockchain protocol, et cetera? I guess that is with me. So from the beginning, we said we will not define the one and only blockchain protocol or technology because we said we want to build an infrastructure for the whole healthcare industry. And it's very unlikely that this will be one technology. It will be one network. So we were more on the point that we say, okay, we have to build an architecture where the different products or use cases can fit in and not each use case has the same requirements and so maybe they come up with other ideas and saying hey for us it's more important this aspect for us is this aspect so what we said is we are free in the sense of that you can pick your own blockchain technology or protocol hyperledger ethereum based or avalanche or any other one you have in mind what we, what we said, we built a kind of a middleware layer 
to make sure that we have a kind of easy interoperability between the different use cases if needed, but also that the developers who are building the applications not have to deal with, let's say, the specifics of a certain blockchain technology. So the, the, the developer should spend more time in thinking how to solve the business problem instead of finding out how do I solve some blockchain technology-specific issues. So with this middle la layer, we also created an SDK, a software development kit for the developers so that they have an easy way to talk with the blockchain. So for a developer, it looks like open a file, close a file, so very familiar concepts. The middleware is doing the magic behind it and make sure that everything goes well in the blockchain. For the concrete use case, which is our one of our flagship use case, the electronic product information, EPI, we use Quorum, an Ethereum-based. The reason is very simple. Ethereum-based blockchains, they are... You find all the documentation in the internet is widely spread, easy to understand, easy to set up. We, For other use cases, we also looked into other technologies like Hyperledger Fabric and so on. But to be honest, this is the advantage of the consortium. We had a bunch of technology companies and people with good technology knowledge. They already came with experiences, which they did with certain things. So we could speed up a lot of the processes. And we could say in this, in this use case, this technology does not make sense because we already experienced that in a other project before the consortium. I appreciate that. I think, you know, as you said, the industry is evolving so quickly. So within three years, things can change. And having that middleware layer is an opportunity or is an advantage for you guys. So you can be able to be flexible with the changing. We tested that with the electronic product information. We, we just tested it. It's really not productive out there, but we tested the switch from the Ethereum-based quorum to Hyperledger and the way back. So, so it, it's very easy. You don't have to change anything on the application layer. It's just basically the adapter. So we have an Ethereum adapter. And you just switch from the Ethereum adapter in the middleware layer. You configure it with the Hyperledger adapter and, and it, it, it's working without change. But as I said, we just did that as a little lab test for us. We, we did not went through the whole performance testing and all these other things. Then it's just technically it works. That's what we test. I, I think the more important thing is that in the project, in the association future, you know, we have a principle which is being technology and vendor agnostic. Mm. So we're we're going on the assumption that there's going to be a lot better technology emerging. It's still early days, and and so we have to design an architecture that we where we you know don't get locked in to any specific vendor or technology that turns out to be a dead end. We have to design for obsolescence and be able to take advantage of the best technology when it appears. Absolutely. I mean, I would agree. And being open source as well is definitely the right way to go too, in my opinion. This just allows other developers to engage with the association or be able to improve it, improve some of the use case applications as well. So very interesting. The open source is also important. There is no one who can decide what is the next version. I mean. We will create, as you heard, the Formal Edge Association. We will create there 
qualified software package, which then should be used by the participants, by the member. But you can still say, I don't trust that. I don't want that. So you, you have to source code. And if, for example, all members suddenly say, we are fed up what the, this organization is doing with that software. It's open source. They can make a fork. And if they are willing to invest a little bit of money, they can set up their own network, etc., which keeps uh, the PLA organization very honest at the end. We have always to think, hey, if we do something which upsets the members so much, they maybe walk away. It's the same principle as with the Linux kernel from Linus Torvalds. I mean, companies like IBM or HP, they could immediately say, we fork it, do it our own. We were much bigger than Linus Torvalds. But obviously, he is doing enough good decisions that there is no need to do that. And so that's why the open source for us, is, it, it's, it fits the idea of this no middleman, no centralization. For sure. Let's take a quick recap. So 2016, 17, 18, these conversations, the pre-talks for Pharma Ledger, potentially IMI, that went on. 2020 was kicked off. So you had, it was a three-year project from 2020 and up until the end of this year, which when the project, I think, officially ends, you've had many use cases come up, right? I think initially... I don't know how many there were, but then the teams eventually narrowed them down to about eight, which were, you know, on the website, on videos, and they were promoted yeah. and experimented with. And, you know, different people came in to discuss how they can actually work, wireframes were built and all of that. What use cases in healthcare have the most traction? You know, in 2019, I I thought that I proposed the digital immunization passport because I thought this this is a great uh, Canada. We were collaborating with a Canadian hospital on such a thing to leverage self sovereign identity for that, and we were we were well on our way until the pandemic hit, and then the digital immunization passport became a whole another topic altogether. <laughs> And we realized we are an innovation project. The, the use cases that we have are, are, are spread across three domains, supply chain, clinical trials, and health data. And in supply chain, we have this, as Marco mentioned, electronic product information or e-pill or electronic leaflet, you know, so that it's the package insert. In, in, and building on that is what we refer to as detecting falsified medicines, previously known as anti-counterfeiting. So checking a number of aspects or characteristics of a product package to determine its authenticity. And then we have two different types of traceability. Finished goods traceability for commercial products that's downstream once it's been packaged and clinical supply chain for investigative products. And in the uh, clinical domain, we have e-consent or electronic informed consent. So all of that administrative work that goes in, in when doing a trial or undergoing a procedure, there's a clinical trial recruiting, which is also a platform for with a matching algorithm that patients could, could use to find available trials. And we also have medical device, IoT, Internet of Things. So the data coming, trusted data coming from, from medical devices and, and personalized medicine. Those were the, the, the final use case portfolio that we defined and, and developed all the demonstrators for. EPI got the most um, traction or most uh, maturity during the project 
and is the one we we said, okay, let's let's see if we can launch this platform with a product that being PI. Thanks for sharing that. And you know, I've seen a lot of different startups and organizations try to come up with a blockchain solution for whatever their use cases in healthcare. And I've noticed, and this is just from my perspective, and let me know what you guys think, because you've been doing this for many years too. What I've noticed is the applications that have to do with patient information or clinical data seems to be difficult to make into production, basically, because I think the the regulatory restrictions make it really hard to manage the data, ensure that the data is stored in a way that's proper. Doing something like EPI or something supply chain related, where there's no real patient information involved, creates a sort of you know opening where there's less of a regulatory hurdle, there's less of a chance of regulatory issues coming up. Do you guys agree with that assessment in that these like non-patient data related use cases are getting more traction in general versus the patient related data related use cases? And that's just my perspective. What do you guys think? I think I have here a little bit of a different view on it. Good. First of all, this whole clinical stuff or patient, it's very complicated to understand. Just the process, forget the blockchain, just what's going on here. What they mean with the patient data, the e-consent, and how it's going with the clinical trial, investigators, blah, blah, blah. The supply chain area is much easier to understand. You There's something going from A to B, you want to show that, and it's easier to understand why is this important? At the end of the day, we what we call the business. So someone from the business needs to fund it, needs to believe in it, needs to see the benefit. That's one thing. And the other thing which I think, uh, this, is, this is my view, is a lot of these solutions are driven by a vendor, by a software company. So someone build a solution and say, hey, we have here something new. Please use it. It's blockchain-based. This reminds me 20 years ago or 30 years ago when everyone said, hey, this software is object-oriented developed. It's an object-oriented. So what? The software needs to solve a problem. Do you care whether the word or the browser is object-oriented or functional program? Whatever. You don't care. But there was a selling argument. And the pharma ledger... We are not vendor-driven. So we, from the very beginning, we were coming from the business side, the pharma. So we, we don't have a vendor. So the pharma company came together. As you said, at the beginning, we had a lot of use cases, I think around 80 we nailed, or 100. We nailed them down at the end to eight. And each of these use cases have more or less pharma companies behind it. And the one with the most was EPI. And... And it was driven by the business, not by a software company. So from the beginning, we had already uh, business users who want to use it. And we not have developed the solution. And then we have to find the ecosystem around it. In our case, it's a bit the other way. And we had three years time to prepare the ecosystem. Just a starting point. We're far away from where we want to be in the future. But it's something which is coming from the business, here we have a software, please buy it. Because that's basically the message when, when you have, and we use blockchain. Yeah, okay, you use the technology. In our case, it's the other way around. When blockchain first emerged, we were talking about, okay, a ledger, an asset. You know, we're talking about data provenance and, and tracking the handover, 
you know, between partners, peer to peer. So, of course, I think then everybody's immediately thought, oh, this is this is great for the pharmaceutical supply chain. You know, that's regulated. They have to, you know, they have to have an audit trail and everything like this. There's a big issue with counterfeits. We know the immediate thoughts were around uh, the, uh, the application of blockchain to, to pharmaceutical supply chain problems. And, and I think that, you know, we've had the opportunity then to, to talk to leadership in, in research and development. The change in their environment is a little, I think it's, uh, it's really slow and, and a lot of effort and everything like that. And what they said is that, you know, what, what, what we need is we need blockchain to succeed. When we can show that blockchain supports pharmaceutical process in the value chain in a way that creates value, then there will be a whole different, you know, mindset towards adoption in other domains and functions. There's also, you know, the, the digital uh, tran- transformation hype of the past years. People are getting a little fatigued, I would say with a lot of promises that don't materialize and a lot of investments that don't materialize. So it reminds me when you say this hype around digital, the AI, not blockchain, AI, it's much bigger. Um, people were dreaming what you can do with AI, tons of things. Also in the pharma comp- company, you can develop software only based on AI stuff or on data. And it turns out of a couple of years, no, we are far away from that. So there is a kind of a disappointment of, of the senior management to say, hey, we invested so much money in other digital solutions. Blockchain is the same. We are also on the hype curve. And now it's the point to say, prove it, show me, yep. right? Yeah. So no, no, I think that's, that's it. You. And in terms of proving out the technology to basically prove to the industry and all the companies that you know this is possible, there is value that can be extracted from or not even just extracted, but really value created and then distributed to members and users. Can you share some of the experience or feedback you might have had from any test pilots or user research? And we can focus on the EPI use case because that is the one with the most traction for now. I think, so electronic product information, just so the listeners understand, this is taking your smartphone and scanning the barcode on the pack. It's a special kind of barcode. It's a 2D, two-dimensional data matrix. It's not a QR code or something. It's carrying a lot of specific information in it. And that can uniquely identify the product and the batch of that medicine. And then give the latest version, approved version of the product information. Uh, the reliability, the believability, the credibility of, of product information. We saw like during the pandemic, this this is like a, a real issue. You know, you, you could drink bleach and everything to cure <laughs> your pandemic, your corona or something like that. So that that's that's misinformation was a big deal. Yeah, misinformation yeah. On, on all layers. Yeah. Right. So so but you know, you don't need blockchain to do that. You you don't need blockchain. There's other ways to do it. You, you know, to, you know, you can put it all on a central server or something. But what we realized and what we recognized is that API is basically a platform with, upon which you could have complementary innovations that come. The first one we think, or the one that we had in the project was the anti-counterfeiting. So if I'm scanning that medicine, not only can I get the product information, but I can perform seven different checks on that package to to determine its authenticity. And then you think, well, if I can do that, 
um, why couldn't it tell me if it's if I've scanned it or something and and uh, and my doctor told me to take it Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays? Why wouldn't my smartphone tell me, you know, give me a notification time to take your medicine? If there was a recall in the in the case of some sort of market action or a quality issue, how do you get to that information down to the patient? So if you wanted, you could opt in and say, yeah, I'd like to be informed if there's a product recall or if the product information is updated, because today it take it could take up to a year for that package insert to be re redone, reapproved, reprinted, repacked, redistributed resold, and then finally, you know, opens. And that's just the start. The start. There's more like adverse events reporting, or there's a problem around disposal of excess medicine. Mm-hmm. When you scan that barcode, you automatically read the expiry date of that medicine. The app could inform you that it's time to dispose of that, not by flushing it down the toilet, but by, you know, taking it back to the pharmacy or to one of these disposal areas. We've had a patient evaluation session and that's where the European Patient Forum is one of our consortium members. And, and that's where the feedback has been really, really great and really positive. We were able to demonstrate it and present it at the European Patient Forum Congress this summer and got really good feedback. It's the right thing to do. I think everybody recognizes that EPI is the right thing to do. The only question is, is basically how, how, how to do it then in the future. And I, I, I mean, even me personally, you know, as the the use case leader for any counterfeiting, when I go to the doctor, um, I, I say, oh, can I just show you something really quick? And I pull a barcode out of my, my wallet and scan it and show it to them. And they're like, this is great. This is great. And they have reasons that we haven't even thought of, you know, because of different dosage forms or dosage strengths and confusion in the, with the patients and everything like that. It's a no brainer. I think that's amazing that you've collectively taken that input from patients and your team members and other members, and you've come up with these different, not use cases necessarily, but different, I guess, partial use cases, I guess you could say, starting from the EPI. Features, it's more features. Features, yeah. Features by features, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's really great to hear that. And, you know, when do you think that something like this will be... I guess with the Pharma Ledger Association, are you expecting to roll it out in specific country by country basis, or what's your timeline for implementation? Yeah, this is an interesting thing right now. It's also what means implementation, what means go live. So, from a technology point of view, that means I mean the technology is here, but it means also in a pharma or in a healthcare environment, we have to follow some regulatory uh, rules or policies. So it has to be cheeks, but supporting cheeks be relevant processes. So yeah, and I'm sure that is, much of the regulations are being created as you go too. It's it's not just following regulations, maybe some. Yeah, in this case, we have to follow certain things. So in this case, we have to make sure that the software is a qualified software according to the to the regulation of the healthcare industry. So this is what we have to do as a first step in the PLA organization having the the software which the members, the pharma companies need to run a node has to be qualified. Otherwise, they can't do it. So this is what the PLA is offering as a service. Otherwise, each pharma company has to do it on their own and it will never happen. It's too complicated, too time-consuming. So this is a service we do. 
which helps the implementation. At the moment, we have in uh, our go live for this technical um, software package is the end of March, 31st of March. And then it depends on the pharma companies. The pharma company then take that software package and have to deploy it in their environment, also following their internal regulations, which then means they have to do a qualified deployment. And later, the business has to validate this process. This has to be done. And this is every pharma company will take, I say now something, between 8 and 12 weeks to do that. Or longer. Depends. Depends. So I, I, I think... For the listeners, you know, all of this qualification, validation, blah, blah. Um, you know, the the app, this service, it has an impact on patient safety. It has to provide the right information. So it has to be tested to the point that it's we know with absolute certainty that it, it does what it will do. That's kind of an intensive process even for a simple app. But since it has an impact on patient safety, there are no shortcuts. The the other thing I want to add, it's like, so current, there's over 40 global EPI initiatives. There's over, over mm. in 40 different markets or so, there's different, you know, Korea, Singapore, in Europe, all over the place. And, and, and each country is saying, okay, let's make a solution. This is, a, this is a, again, this is a no-brainer. We have to do it. Now, what if there was one solution, you know? And and basically what we're saying is we can take this, the same app, and it doesn't matter who's the manufacturer, doesn't matter if it's Novartis or Roche or Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or Merck, we can use the same app, use it the same functionality, regardless of who it is and regardless of what country we're in, you know? And if it says, oh, sorry, we don't have it available in English, would you like it in German? Or, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of functionality to switch languages. And then, you know, ultimately, you're, you've got a digital version of that in the hand. Why not have graphics? Why not have a video? You know, there's more and more medical devices. So why not, you know, show a video? We don't do promotional information. You know, this is not a, an ad. There's no ads right, uh, in this thing. And the other thing is, there's no potential privacy data that's captured in this. Because this is what medicine you're taking. This is what disease you have. And and should somebody know that? Does anybody need to know that besides you and your doctor? I don't you know, does does somebody is somebody gonna sell that that information to, to a highest bidder or something like that? So the whole thing is is premised on protecting patient privacy and data. Because if we can't do that, then there is no trust in the solution and it will not succeed. Yeah. One good thing is also with the blockchain solution, we have this decentralized approach. It's easy for other pharma companies to join. The system will scale. We not have a central server where at the end, the more you have at a certain point, it will break. In this case, this is also an advantage of this decentralization. And if one server is down, then it, or if one system is or part is down, then only this pharma company is impacted. Think about it, if you have a centralized approach. If the, the central server is down, no patient could get access to the leaflet. So this is another point why we like the, the blockchain solution. And it also helps us to grow in, in, in a good pace. On that topic, is there a minimum number of nodes or members that would need to run a server in order for it to be sufficiently decentralized in the way you talk about it? I know it's yeah. maybe a tough question, but... 
Yeah. No, no, it, it, it's basically, of course, technically you need, for the Go Quorum, you need four nodes as the, the, the consensus protocol we use there. We need four nodes. At the beginning, of course, if let's say we only have two or three pharma companies, so we will not have enough nodes. So we can, we can set up the PLI organization will jump in at the beginning to make sure that we have, have enough nodes that we have a valid system. This is just to start it, but we are very confident that in the first six months next year or nine months, do I'm saying too much here, Dan, that we have <laughs> enough pharma companies jumping on it. Don't forget, it's all a slow process because as, as, as Dan mentioned, or I mentioned it, the whole qualification stuff, but there is no shortcut when it comes to patient safety and that will take time. And certain companies are faster or have more push in it than others or other priorities. But we are very confident. That. And as I said, the PLA at the beginning will make sure that we have enough nodes up and running, which is, which is not jeopardizing anything of the, the, the decentralization idea. So, and in, you know, in this case, unlike, for example, Bitcoin, like the members organizations have a a level of trust already established. It's not like you're starting off with we, zero yeah, trust. We, so that's important yeah, as we well. Have, exactly. We, it's not like Bitcoin, which is an open public one. What we, we call it, we have a hybrid network, which means the writing members and the members writing something on, on the blockchain, they get onboarded. We know them because that's only pharma companies. No one else should have writing rights on that blockchain network for EPI because it's only the leaflet from the pharma companies. But everyone can have access. So on this side is public. We don't know who will have access to it. That's public. So that's why we call it a hybrid network. And I think this also gives security, or is increasing the security because we know the pharma company. And if one of the pharma companies is not behaving well, there are then ways, yeah, we know then who is that, etc. But Understood. the pharma companies have no interest to not behaving well because right. it's their product there. I mean, they would they would damage themselves. That, that makes no sense. Sure. So, so, that, so we, that's why we have a very good feeling that this network will be very stable and um, also trustworthy. And, you know, you can imagine in a few years or maybe longer, I don't know, but you can have hundreds of different pharmaceutical companies using this yeah. platform really for product information. And you can exactly. also vision, <laughs> and you can also incorporate the the regulators to take part as well in terms of approving or denying certain sure. information. So that's all. Sure. That's exactly what we at the moment, of course, from a time point of view, we we only look at the pharma companies. But in the future, and I would say in the near future, we would like to have patient organization having a running note, authorities having a running note to make really clear. There is no secrets. We don't hide something. You you can share. There are all the information on the blockchain. Everyone can read it. And then we will also make sure in the future, not for the start, because we just it's a, it's just we not have enough resources to do everything. We have to focus. But that is a clear goal that we bring in patients' organization that they can run a note to make sure. Hey, patient, this is there's nothing magic behind it. The next question I have is Pharma Ledger Association a DAO or will it become a DAO? 
starting in a more traditional classic manner, you know, the Farm Ledger Association is, is a Swiss association. It has a standard structure that every Swiss association has with a, with a general assembly and a board of directors and members and things like that. And we will, we'll have a strict strategy defined by the board or product strategy defined, defined by product teams. But, and, and we don't have tokens or, or anything like that now. But what we do have an innovation lab too. We want to continue the innovation that Farmer Ledger started and into the future. And so we, we think, you know, the goal here with the Farmer Ledger Association is not to build some central authority, not to build, you know, some middleman or something like this but to, to just facilitate. And that includes research and innovation in the area of, of a DAO, of you know, automating certain decisions or actions in the future, and potentially then how to incorporate um, tokens and, and things like this. But also the Farmer Ledger Association is nonprofit. Nobody's going to be able to trade tokens or, or anything like this. What we want to do is if we have excess resources is to reinvest in innovation of this type of type and to accelerate it as we go forward. That's that's the whole idea is to accelerate this digital transformation. Excellent. And how do new members join if they were interested? And members aren't necessarily people, but they're companies in this case. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, a website. It's a, a classic. Yeah. It's, it's farmerledger.org. We have to differentiate between the project, which is farmerledger.eu and the association.org. And there is plenty of information and also the opportunity to indicate your interest or to learn more. Right. I think there on the on the website, it's got a load of information and a, and a, and a lot of fact, frequently asked questions that would be available. But if people are, are interested, we're more than happy to to engage with them in the specific and the, on their specific questions. Awesome. Yeah, I'm on the website now. Actually, there's four different categories, patient organizations, patrons, members, you know, NGO members. And what I found interesting was the patient organizations, there are no fees to join. And I think that's important. There's also no fees to join for NGOs as well. So it's great that you're incorporating or you're making sure that you're involving patients up front too, without creating like a barrier. Exactly. Also the idea of being decentralized. We hope with the patient organization, we have a kind of an opposition to, to, to the pharma companies or to the commercial companies in general. And this is the membership, but uh, there is also a technical onboarding because if you decide and also to join the EPI network, there is an onboarding process for the EPI network. This could be a way, for example, that each use cases also introduce, let's say, a little DAO, if I can say that, with the kind of a voting that you say, okay, there is a new member coming. So we do a voting there. It's, it's technical because we can also say if the, if this new member already signed the contract, there is no reason why we vote against that person. But you can use that in case of you want the organization wants to exclude someone because for whatever reasons, and that should be avoided that a single person has the power. And with the kind of a voting mechanism, you, you could achieve that technically on the blockchain. Although, as Dan said, and I think this is the key element at the moment, we have to go more in the classic way because the DAO is not understandable for the people with the money. And maybe they don't want to understand at the moment. Maybe in the future, we don't know. 
but for now we we have to do compromises right that that we can do the next step we'll see awesome welcome to the health unchained news corner with the 2022 world cup in full gear I thought it would be important to highlight how crypto is integrating itself into this global tournament. Crypto.com is the official crypto exchange sponsor for the games, and their logo can be seen during most of the games. Crypto.com even teamed up with Visa and collaborated on a project called Masters of Movement, where five exclusive NFTs were minted using an artwork algorithm that uses player movement, ball position, skill moves, and other factors to create unique 20-second videos of the abstract art results. Additionally, the proof-of-stake protocol Algorand became FIFA's official blockchain partner in May of 2022 and is the official sponsor of the Women's World Cup, which begins next year in Australia and New Zealand. Even Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a big brand loyalty NFT proponent, has a partnership with Budweiser and the World Cup to give fans a way to enter the Budverse, which is a metaverse experience, and mint a dynamic tracker NFT updated by game scores and their favorite team. It costs $100 to mint and gives some exclusive access to content and their Discord community. I'm sure there are many other examples of crypto in the World Cup, and it's great to see the creativity of people come together for the world's most watched tournament predicted to be an average of 227 million viewers per day. The concern I have with all of this is that we have just seen a lapse in proper due diligence for another large exchange, arguably one of the largest exchanges, called FTX, which was the subject of our last Health Unchained News Corner. How confident is FIFA or other involved parties about the stability and trustworthiness of Crypto.com, Algorand, or any other crypto company? One of the benefits of blockchain is that data can be made transparent so that trust does not have to be made between a handshake or some signed legalese. I'm hopeful that the issues we've seen with FTX and associated firms are not connected to these other companies, but I find it hard to believe everyone in the space isn't pushing the limits on their financial operations. The point of this corner is to be wary of crypto companies sponsoring popular sporting events and stadiums. As an example, FTX's sponsorship with the Miami Arena, among many other sponsorships, initially brought credibility to the now-fallen exchange. Let's not take these crypto sponsorships as validation that they are trustworthy, safe, or sustainable. Maybe they are, but as many in the industry will tell you, not your keys, not your coins. If you have any crypto on centralized exchanges, just be careful and consider moving them to a hardware wallet. The most trusted hardware wallet on the market is a Ledger. You can find an affiliate link to the Ledger website in the show notes. Your purchases will also help support the show. If you're not sure which one you should get, reach out on the Health Unchained website, healthunchained.org, to contact us. Just make sure you don't buy one from a third-party seller. It may have been compromised. We hope you enjoyed this news corner. Be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a review on Apple and Spotify. And now back to the show with Dan Fritz and Marco Como from PharmaLogic. We only have a couple of minutes left and I want to ask a fun question that I like to sometimes ask some, get some guests. It's about AI in a way. What are your thoughts about the singularity that Ray yeah. Kurzweil has proposed, which is supposed to happen in the year 2045? What do you guys think about yeah, that? Yeah, if we are lucky, we will see it. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. It's In, in a way, I 
I'm just reading an article about AI. What is the future of AI? You know, there are two camps, so to say. The ones say we need more CPU power or we need just more computing power. The more intelligent the AI will be. And others say, no, it's not the computing power. We have to go in what they call the neurosymbolic. So the, we have to make clear that the, 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 the computer understands the objects better than today. And I guess at the end, both are right. You may need more computing power, but maybe you need also different approaches for AIs uh, to do it. Uh, I guess there will be a time where, I should say, yeah, where, where computers are maybe better. And I don't know. I, we will, I don't believe in 2045. This reminds me on this uh, autonomous cars. Remember? Uh, since two years, I guess we don't need to drive anymore. <laughs> that was the prediction, I think, 2019, 2020, something like that. And we are far away, right? We are far away that we have self-driving cars. We are far away. So That's true. I, so, so, so I think it will come, yeah. but not in 2045. I doubt it really. And maybe... Our brain is much better than we think. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I find it hard to believe we can totally replicate a human brain with machine. But with quantum computing, I don't know, sometimes I think our brains are just mini quantum computers, right? In a really strange way. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I mean, but maybe there is more than just the physical thing we can touch. It, it's more, I... True. I, I, yeah. And it doesn't... It's, it's another podcast. Or... It's a different podcast, yeah, yeah. maybe. Okay. Dan, what is your... Um, I, I think you covered it. Um, <laughs> so. Well, I appreciate you both coming on the show and really working hard for the last many years on just you know ensuring blockchain is being recognized in the healthcare industry and working on Pharma Ledger with many members, just being leaders in the space. Thank you, seriously. And I hope Thanks to have you back on the, the future. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. It was, it was great to to talk to you. Actually, to to see you again yeah. uh, uh, as we have worked together before. Yes. So appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. it. Well. Thanks for my side. It was a very cool podcast. Thank you. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher soundcloud google play and itunes join the health unchained community on our telegram group t.me slash health unchained if you enjoyed this episode tell your friends your bosses your teams your students to listen and subscribe thank you